folks, and welcome back to another episode of The American Attic, where we deliver dialogue-driven explorations of California history and beyond. Presented by the Sacramento Historical Society and hosted by Eric Swigert, join us as we uncover topics that inspire imagination, inform action, and enrich the present. Our guest today is a local historian. She is an author. She is a speaker. She is a writer well-versed in the landscape of local history and the individuals, the committed few who choose to pursue it. She is a regional vice president for the Conference of California Historical Societies and has worked with historical advisory boards and museums in Placer County. In this episode, we discuss her arrival to appreciating the past how it started, her current efforts in promoting it publicly, and what gems await visitors on the western slope of the Sierra and in Placer County. Please enjoy this candid and compelling conversation with author Christina Richter. All right. Well, welcome, Christina, to the American Attic. Thank you for your time this morning in in sharing all that you have to share and uh, taking some time out of your day. Oh, thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's always great to support Sacramento Historical Society. And I'm excited about exploring your neighbor, Placer County. Yes, yes. And you have already put in a lot of work in exploring Placer County. And and I'm excited to talk with you about that today. But before we do that, I'm, I'm always curious about how people get connected to history as a passion as a topic as a as a uh, major aspect of their week to week work and um i feel like we could just dive right into some of these questions and um you know it's it's no surprise looking at your background that history is a passion of yours and for those of us who call history our passion a lot of it comes from stories a lot mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from the you know stories we encounter over the years as we study the past. And so I wanted to start off with just asking you, you know, are there any stories uh, that you've encountered? It can be specific to Placer County. Mm-hmm. It can be broader. It can be international if we want to go there. Um, so there are there any stories that have inspired your love of history and or continue to inspire? You know, a lot of stories uh, in my background have inspired me. And I did think about this for a minute and it came down to something very specific two things. When I was very young, I lived, I grew up in Ohio and a tornado hit our house. We were in it. It was an F5 tornado. It was a Zenia, Ohio tornado. And we were thrown into massive chaos. Our town was destroyed. Our house was destroyed. And we made history that day because it was such a devastating tornado. And I grew up with that, knowing that things can change in an instant. And that drew me to a local story here, which is the Donner Party. And of course, we all know that story, the Donner Party story. And it's been retold and retold and retold. And because of our forensics now, we can tell the story even better. So my own personal history inspired me to actually look into events of the past and then studying that whole Donner story. And while it's not exactly in Placer County, it's right on the border there. It did teach me to look at things, number one, objectively in history, because Mm -hmm. it changed once we learned more about it. And number two, 
things can change in an instant and how people react and respond to what's happening in their environment can be so different from normal days. And that's important to take forward with you when you do study history. So I would say that those are, those are my inspiring stories, Eric. Wow. I, I mean, that sounds like such a, when it comes to someone's personal story, such a pivotal, memorable, traumatic experience. It was. You know? It was traumatic. And yes. h- how old were you when that happened? I don't know if I want to tell you. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, That's I was, totally uh, fine. I was uh, very young. I was in my okay. early teens. Oh, wow. And it was a um, a tornado that happened in 1974. It's okay. still on the history books as one of the worst tornadoes in history. Yeah. And like I said, it destroyed my town and the house I was in. It killed 32 people, some of which I knew. So, I think what inspired me the most or actually had the biggest impact on me was the tornado hit and then we were left in our basement with nothing overhead, with people coming to us because their yeah. home was destroyed, um, people we hadn't talked to or seen perhaps in, in months or years. In a moment, life twisted and we yeah. behaved differently, just like the Donner Party. In a moment, not quite a moment for them. Obviously they were traveling, but they were caught unawares and in a situation that they had to react to just suddenly. Mm-hmm. And that happens throughout history. And that that totally intrigues me. So it starts with the Donner Party and then you, you can take a look at whatever else in history you want to look at and apply that. It, yeah. Things change in an instant and people will behave differently from that change. Yeah. Well, and, you know, obviously the Donner Party, like you mentioned, it's um, it's one of the staples of California history. It's one of the mm-hmm. most common stories from that era, you know, a cautionary tale or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, I was just curious, were, is your interest in history and some of these stories, is it pretty local, would you say? So local to Placer County, local to your your home? Or would you say you find you find similar inspiration beyond beyond the beyond the county? I find inspiration all over, especially when we travel. But recently, of course, um, my focus on history is definitely local. I'm currently on the board of the Western States Trail Museum, which talks about the immigrant trail going over the Sierra Nevada. And of course, was part of the Donners. They travel part of that trail as well. That history is brand new to me and just fascinating how the immigrants negotiated that trail, not only to get here, but also, of course, to look for gold. So I guess to answer your question uh, in short order, local right now has been my my main focus. Yeah. Well, and it's like um, it almost seems like whenever you encounter a historical topic, it's like an onion. You peel back one layer and there's another layer just waiting there for your exploration. You know, when you when you encounter some of those stories anyways. Yeah. So just the Donner Party is a great example of that, where there's the the stories that survive. There's so many angles, so many layers to it. Absolutely. And when you I think one of the, the biggest things in studying history, I know that education was part of your questions is when we do dive into those areas that we're most interested in, we have to take off the filters of today. And if we can learn to take off the filters of today, when we dive into those stories, then we can be most affected in that manner. So it's like reading a good book. 
Uh-huh. You know, you dive into the book and you start getting into the characters and the places and the times. And then by the time you're finished, you've completely popped yourself out of your life into uh-huh. another life and you go away changed. Yeah. Your life has changed if maybe a lot, maybe just a bit. But that's how I like in history, too, when I dig into the stories. It's it's like a, um, a good book that just keeps you enthralled for chapters and chapters. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up books because, as you know, I'm going to be asking about your favorite author here in short order. But not not yet. I did want to kind of dive in a little bit deeper you know, to the topic of education because okay. hi- history, social studies, you know, it's a mandatory part of of many curriculums and um you know j- just out of curiosity speaking as someone who's familiar with the past who's written two books now what do you think are the most valuable lessons history can offer young people nowadays you know and focusing on on the youth like what are some lessons you think that would be uh, uh would be fertile ground for young people to consider Good question. You know, I think overall history really gives you the roots for being a productive and independent person throughout your life. And learning history contributes to this. I think there isn't a particular story because everybody is attracted to things that they want to learn about, but overall, the ability to think. If we can't look at what has happened in the past, whether it's recent past, ancient past, turn of the century, if we can't look at that, then we don't, we can't put life into perspective. So the ability to think really comes up from all of this. I believe locally in our schools, one of the most important stories that we teach, and I think it's fourth grade, is probably the story of the missions. Mm-hmm. Um, California missions. And that story has certainly changed throughout time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, first it was just about the buildings and now it's about the Native Americans and now it's about the whole political atmosphere of that. So even the teaching of that history has changed. And I think that's a great foundation for for children. Fourth grade's pretty great time to learning about our local history. And and those missions are, they're, they're a great launch pad, if you will. Sure. No, I I still remember. I think I had to build a mission when I was in fourth grade. I had to yes. gather gather yes. the materials all together and construct a model mission. I'm blanking on which one. I I probably chose the Sonoma mission just because that was right over the hill from me in Napa. But yeah, you know, hands on. I Were did. Were you able to visit? Yes. Yeah, it's it's special. Sonoma is such a special place in terms of the history mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, truly, it is. Yeah, <laughs> to say nothing of all the ref- all the uh, the tourism and wine that that also attract people there. That's a nice little uh, thing to have on the side. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little economic engine they have going on over there. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Oh man, well, I and I did want to circle back around to what we were talking about earlier. I I know my my background with history was kind of facilitated by a few different authors you know i i had um stephen ambrose was a big yeah. author of mine right uh, especially in military history so i dove headfirst into all his writings on world war ii and d-day i think he i think he was the author of that band of brothers that hbo miniseries too that just took off did very well you know for you and your journey to history and your and your current efforts there are there any authors that stick out you know that's another great question eric I love local authors. 
Uh, I love Stephen Ambrose. I love all of the big names and the bestsellers, of course. But I truly love the local authors. Um, there's an author in Colfax. His name is Roger Staub, and he's written quite a bit on the Transcontinental Railroad, for example. There are several local authors. Every time you go to a city here in Placer County and you go to the Historical Society, you'll always find books by local authors. And I love those because it's the local flavor. It's the stories that you wouldn't get in the in the big books and the big authors. And I think those are my favorite ones. Um, here in Roseville, which I spent a lot of time in, as you know, Leonard Davis, they called him Duke Davis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He was a prolific writer. I think he wrote two or three dozen books about wow. local history. I've read every single one of them. And that actually has been, um, those are my favorite authors, I would have to say. And I think when I travel, I like looking at local authors as well. And I would encourage other people to, to um, when you're home and you're just wanting to learn in general, the big name books are great. But learning about local history, go dig into those uh, local history museums and see what those little books are that are written about local history and the stories of the people and what happened. Yeah. Those are the best. Yeah. I I haven't encountered, did you say his name was Leonard Davis? Leonard Davis. Duke Davis. Okay. Yes. He um he left us, I want to say in oh golly, 2015, somewhere okay. around there. And he wrote a he was a history teacher as well okay. at I believe American River College for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. And he had a great style and he loved talking to what he called the old timers. Uh-huh. And he would record their stories. And he was um really good about keeping information and keeping all the facts straight. Of course, as always, things change. You you learn more as you go. Yeah. Um, some of his facts, of course, had to be changed throughout time. But but he's he was great for a local historian. Yeah. Well, and as as someone who is a local historian yourself, and you are familiar with the writing process, which you know I, I'm excited to get to in our discussion. Do you feel that there is a a lot of information out there, you know, for folks that do want to dive into wherever they are, if they're, you know, outside of California, if they're in Oregon, you know, on the East Coast, something like that. Is there, would you say, a pretty robust presence of, of local writers that that folks that can get into? And I'm speaking from the outside. I I uh, don't, I don't, I don't know the local scene as well. So, The answer here locally is absolutely yes. Placer County, we're fortunate that we have a a robust Placer County Historical Society. Of course, we have the Placer County Museums um, that are a branch of the county government, uh, which we run eight museums. I'm also part-time employed with them. And I know in Sacramento, we have a lot of local historians that have written um, Sacramento Historical Society in their golden notes. How many? dozens of golden notes, just about different aspects of history that the historical society maintains. So here locally, yes, I think. Um, So one thing to consider when you look at local history compared to the East Coast, for example, or even Europe, a lot of people have said to me, well, real history is on the East Coast because they're so old. And you have to realize that our 
modern day history, civilized history, if you will, is relatively recent, right? 1849, so 150, 175 years ago is really when we started. And that's relatively recent to compared to the rest of the United States and the rest of the world. So we're still in that discovery process somewhat. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's a lot out there and there's still a lot to be discovered, which is one of the fun parts about being here, I think. Yeah. Oh, that that um, there's a lot of directions we could go from that because that is something too that I've thought about in, in my travels. I was in Boston when I was in Boston in April. Oh, uh, Boston's great uh, this year. Yeah, and I I almost missed my train. I was uh, supposed to make it up to. I was supposed to catch an Amtrak up to Maine for a wedding, but I got a I got turned around in the city. Uh, B I was distracted because I was walking past cemeteries where I saw Samuel Adams gravestone was and the wow. uh victims of the boston massacre were like buried right there and i had to do a double take from the right. sidewalk yeah amazing uh, i'd I, like to live there just to explore the history for a year or two absolutely there's there's a lot there but but you're right it is you know the that you need to account for the fact that you know they in terms of recorded history and and document and some of the documents that many historians work with they're not scattered across the United States in the same way. There's not the same uh, amount available to local historians in, let's say, maybe Placer County that there mm -hmm. might be in in Massachusetts or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're we getting have, there. Um, like I said, we have the, the Placer County um, museums and we run eight of the 22 museums in Placer County. And so, and we have an archives warehouse, yeah. we have a collections warehouse, and I know you have the same in Sacramento with the, um, the library and the, um, your Sacramento center history yeah. center. So we're getting there and I love it that we're paying attention and we're making sure that in this rapid development time in history, that we're saving what we can save and preserve yeah. what we can preserve. It's important. Absolutely. And, and a large effort. So, so thank you on behalf of the SAC Historical Society for all the work that you're putting in, in that regard. I am, um, when I was speaking with Marsha Iman, the city historian for Sacramento, she reminded me how much of a process it is to, to maintain, to not just to promote history, but to maintain the artifacts and so on and so forth. Yes. Absolutely. And and I think our particular challenge also is that we don't have the advantage of time. Yeah. It's relatively recent, whereas in a Boston or a Maine, um, even you know, anywhere along the, the East Court East Coast seaboard, they've had the advantage of time. Mm -hmm. So over time they've said, oh, okay, this is important and this is important, and things were not going away as quickly as they are now. We're mm -hmm. building, we're changing, our society is moving so much quicker. So it's even that much more of a challenge. And I feel like here in Northern California, we are definitely stepping up. I think um, LA, San Diego, they're, they're doing a good job as well. But I'm really proud of our efforts here in Northern California. And I encourage anybody to get involved in local history and understand yeah. our preservation techniques and, and uh, how to go about studying and preserving. Yeah. Well, and, and just to share a, a a last anecdote for me on, on this topic, um, I was visiting a friend in Reno recently, just to 
uh, highlight the relevancy of the work that we're talking about. I have a friend in Reno who mm. they are they're um, American citizens, but they're trying to establish Italian citizenship through through the paperwork. Through, I guess Italy has a process where you can, if you identify the right sequence of ancestors, you can qualify to be considered a, an Italian citizen, which I had oh, no idea. Okay. Yeah. And but but in order to do that, they had to approach the historical organization of Grass Valley. And they had to connect with the the officials over there and the historians over there to access their family's paperwork, which oh, was yeah, because okay. and then make you know of course make photocopies of everything and include it in their uh, application packet, which is I yeah I, I had no idea it was just neat to connect the dots between something that someone's doing now and something that happened a long time ago. Right. And family history is amazing. And you know who has incredible records is um, Utah, the LDS. Oh. They have phenomenal records. They're all there available. They they have made it their life's work to gather family histories and just history in general. And you can Mm -hmm. literally go and visit them and research. And I believe it's free. They just want everyone to know their family history. So that's another aspect that they might want to check out too, if if they're not finished yet. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Is is there a, um, you know, it's been ages since I've been uh, to Utah. Do you know, are there a few locations in particular that, is there a physical presence that the public? There's an LDS library that's huge and there's a museum there. Um, I think your, your gateway to that is ancestry.com. Oh, wow. Okay. They feel a lot of what's on Ancestry.com. Okay. And so that's your gateway. But if anybody's studying their family history, I I totally recommend a, a trip to that yeah. big library and museum that they have. Yeah. I had no idea. That's amazing. <laughs> well, we kind of already talked about a few of the, the areas I was hoping to explore with you today. You know, maybe just, just focusing in, we talked a little bit about Boston, Utah. Are there any other specific locations, geographic areas or 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 cities or or what have you that you felt most connected to the past. You know, to give an example, I went on a family trip to Gettysburg when I was young over there in Pennsylvania. Oh wow. And that just sure. you know sticks out in in my mind. Is there anything like that from from either your travels or things like that? You know, I, I think the most impactful, especially recently, was my um digging into the fitment history. When I, I wrote the history of the um, Roseville Fitiment family, and their original mm-hmm. ancestor came here in 1852, a wow. woman with a baby on her hip, and understanding what the land looked like, and they were farming, and to homestead a land, they had to dig a well, plant a fig tree, or plant a tree, a fruit-bearing tree usually, <laughs> and usually it was a fig tree, and then they could claim land for their own as long as they continue to development. And that to me was fascinating. We were trying to attract people to the areas. So that's why we were giving away land. And then we had to create an economic aspect of it, an economic mm-hmm. engine, if you will. So in learning the fitment history, I learned the history of Placer County, truly, yeah. because they came here not for gold, but to make a new life and to create a livelihood, which they did mostly through ranching. And in learning about that, 
I was able to apply that to the rest of the county. Now they did ranching, parts of the county did quarrying. Of mm-hmm. course, there was a ton of, of gold mining. And in Lincoln, there was um, Gladding McBean, the big clay factory from the clay deposits up there. And Roseville had the train. So there's just, um, I would say it still continues to inspire me. Just learning about all of the things that came together to make us be where we are. Our our foundation is pretty spectacular. So um, that's not a a larger view because I I know that I could take a look at, say, St. Louis. Their history is amazing. New Orleans, that history is amazing. All of that is fantastic. But right now I feel like my focus is just laser focused on my immediate area. And then maybe in 10 or 20 years I'll venture out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and for those listeners that might not be super familiar with with Roseville, so so can you describe the the location? Is there a house or a historical site that people can go to to encounter this particular history? With the um, you know, with the fitaments, there is a ranch house. It's in West Roseville. That's not open to the public, but it does sit right beside the new West High um, Roseville High School. Mm-hmm. And I know the city will eventually turn that into some sort of destination place. But all of West Roseville was just all ranch land at one point in time. Mm-hmm. And of course, it really grew once the railroad came through and Let's see, the railroad came uh, started to develop in 1906 because the roundhouse moved here. And then in 1909, Roseville incorporated. And in 1910, they just started growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. So the best place probably is to go to the Roseville Historical Society, the Carnegie Museum. And then if you want to learn about um, Native American history in the area, we have a world-class um, it's called the Maidu Indian Museum, and that mm-hmm. is in Roseville proper, and that's a wonderful museum as well. So that's here locally. Roseville, of course, is the largest town. It's growing like crazy. It's going to continue to be the largest town. They they say it's going to parallel the population of Placer County just in Roseville alone wow. in the next couple of years. Yeah, we're one of the few counties that are actually growing in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's... um. And so it makes it even more important that we hang on to our history. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be a resource for all those uh, all those newcomers that show up in Roseville, just, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, being a resource with saying, hey, this is your this is your community now. Here's this is your community. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention is um, our county seat, which is Auburn. And Auburn has a beautiful courthouse. Mm-hmm. They be, they set the cor- the cornerstone for that courthouse in 1894. It was completed in 1898. And the entire first floor now is the Placer County Museum. So oh. if you want to get a good foundation for Placer County history, mm-hmm. go to that museum. And it's easy to find. You can drive down I-80 yeah. and you see the courthouse. It's yeah. beautiful. It's it's a I think there are um only 16 remaining courthouses from that era in California left. And wow. fortunately it has survived the test of time and all of its trials and and tribulations through time. But that's where you want to start. Mm-hmm. And then there's the um, the Gold Rush Museum is mm-hmm. also in Auburn, and that's a, a wonderful museum as well. And then if you're a Victorian, you like that era, the turn of the century, the Bernhard House is, and these are all three museums in Auburn that are very easy to get to. The Bernhard House is a 18, 
51 structure that yeah. was a originally a hotel. Now it's it was then it was turned into a house and now it's a museum. And we have it in that Victorian period, just completely decorated in the Victorian period. It's full of antiques and wonderful stories. And the tours through there can really give you a glimpse into life in Placer County, specifically Auburn at that time. Yeah. So I think Auburn is a um a very influential and inspiring place for understanding Placer County history. I would recommend anybody start there and then just branch out throughout the county. Branch out. No, that's great. And you have a great image of that courthouse on the cover of your new book, Placer County. Great, great shot of it right up here. Um, I believe if I'm not mistaken, my, um, my grandfather was an attorney for a long time here in, in the Sacramento area. And I think he may have argued a case. Oh, well, I'm sure he did. Yeah. It was the place. I mean, that was that we still hold courts there. Yeah. Uh, there are other places as well, but the second and third floors are still, um, court is still held. Wow. And in those early days, um, the ground floor was the jail. Okay. The sheriff's office. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was, uh, yeah. And there's a little jail underneath the uh, stairs that was the women's jail because it couldn't house the women with the men, of course. Yeah. And it's it's got great history. And, and I'll bet your relative was there. No yeah, doubt. I'll have to. This must have been in probably the 70s or 80s. My grandfather lived out and he lived in Loomis. And then I want to say he was practicing water related water law or something like that, which obviously in California, it's a a fraught topic. Absolutely. And my last chapter in my book, Placer Mm -hmm. County Past and Present is about water. Mm -hmm. And I partnered with the Placer County Water Agency to actually write that chapter. They had to do the photographs. And that's the only chapter that somebody else did both photographs. But we talk about in that chapter, how those original canals that provided water to the gold miners and to their places, their their mining places, we still use those canals. Amazing. We still, because how they built them was ingenious and they were able to take the land and figure out the curves and the ups and the downs and, and apply that water flow to get to the gold. It's, it's amazing. Um, how much gold inspired this county. It (laughs) truly, truly did. And then there are two reservoirs that I feature in here. One's called French Meadows Mm -hmm. and one's called Hellhole. And they are our two largest reservoirs in Placer County. And when they were built, they were just considered marvels at the time. And they really put us on the map for how we were managing our water. And French Meadows is still a beautiful place to go to. It was actually the site of Native American tribal ceremonies and where they would go to do uh, trade. Um, The Northern California, I think some Central California tribes came here, also some from Nevada. Of course, there weren't any state boundaries then. Mm -hmm. Some from Nevada. And they would come here and they would collectively get together and just cultivate their own lives. And um, a lot of language was happening there. A lot of cultural exchange was happening there. And that's why I love our mountains here as well. Yeah, no, I I was camping up there a long time ago, and it's beautiful. 
beautiful. Oh, you can't. No, I've not been up there. So um, it's unbelievable. I was, the thing that caught me off guard was the drive to get there (laughs) because it's, because you're kind of in the middle of, you're, you're a good distance off of 80. So I took 80 up to Auburn and then started getting on those, those County highways. You went the forest Hill route. Yes. Through Mosquito Ridge road instead of going um, the 50. Now you can't get there now that same way. So you have traveled a, um, oh, really? a road that is no longer available until they fix it because a mosquito fire just wiped it out. Whoa. I had mosquito no idea. Fire, yeah. It just, well, Mosquito Ridge Road. Yeah. And that takes you through the mountains. And as you know, it was quite the drive. It's quite the trek to get there, but it's gone. I had no idea. Um, yeah, because I and I remember that drive specifically because I was blown away how rugged it was. You know, you're there are some very steep ravines that you know you go down into and climb back up on your way up to uh French Meadows Reservoir. I, yes. I did, okay. Well, that is so look look somewhere else if you're planning your next camping trip, perhaps. Well, you want to take you can get there, but you have to go off of the 50 now through El Dorado. Oh, okay. okay. You can okay. still get there. So I'm glad you mentioned that you were on that road. So there's a um or on those roads. Mm-hmm. There's some history about us that's pretty interesting. So from Sacramento into Auburn, you know, gold miners were going like crazy in that Mm -hmm. direction. And Auburn was the farthest they could get on with a horse and and buggy or Mm -hmm. just anything. That was farthest that they could get. So after that, they had to travel by pack mule. Wow. And the pack mule trains are be 40 to 50 mules just piled high with supplies to go into the mines. Mm-hmm. And they had to balance these supplies perfectly on the back of these mules. Otherwise, if they became jostled and unbalanced during the trip, one of these mules would fall over the side and then the others <laughs> would follow. Wow. You can imagine that only happened a couple of times before they learned. But yeah. that was what these trails looked like back in gold mining days, these 40 to 50 pack mules. And by the way, these um, mules were Mexican. They mm-hmm. had to come from Mexico because they were the most stout and the most robust and yeah. they could handle the terrain in the, in the canyons in our mountains. Yeah. So it was um, another aspect of our history that we wouldn't even know. Yeah. It, about um unless you dig into it and i can just imagine getting into auburn and then finding a mule train that was going into the mining camps and you mm-hmm. have to pay ten dollars per hundred pounds um that was in good weather yeah. in bad weather if you wanted to get your goods into the mining camps you'd pay double or triple that amount yeah to the back of those mules and that's how those mining towns were supplied. Because after Auburn, you couldn't get through. Just you had to be on horseback or mule. Yeah, it seems like a uh, good good time to be a mule merchant. Maybe <laughs> it was. It, yeah. it absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely an aspect of making money in the gold rush. It wasn't just yeah. about the gold, as you know. Uh, we lots of people made money in the gold rush. It had nothing. They didn't even touch the gold. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, Christine, I appreciate you walking us through not just the Placer history, but also your your journey to history as a uh, topic that you're passionate about for sure. And, and changing tact here a little bit and focusing a little bit more on this on this book, Placer County. 
I I am fascinated by the writing process. I I don't know much about it. I haven't published any books, but you know, can you walk us through where you got the I know this is your second book. So where the inception of this uh this book came from and you choosing to take it on as a project? Oh, I'm so glad you asked the question. When I was um looking into this to prepare for the interview today, Eric, it um, it occurred to me today is the two-year anniversary of the day that I was awarded the contract from Arcadia to write this book. Oh, wow. So I love it that we're doing this podcast today yeah. because it's been two years. It was um, the day before Thanksgiving in 2021, mm-hmm. and they found me because I, I write a monthly column for uh, Gold Country Media, and it's in the Granite Bay View. And I've been doing that since uh, July of 2019. Mm-hmm. And so the Arcadia editors, they're always scouting for authors. They approached me, and I submitted a book proposal. Mm-hmm. And then the day before Thanksgiving, it was awarded to me. And of course, that was the pandemic, right? Yeah. So we were at the end of the pandemic in 2021, but who knew if it was the end or not? Sure. And so I was faced with writing this book when everything was shut down. And the only way I could really do research was online initially. And then fortunately, things cleared up at the beginning of 2022. And I was able to get out and start, sorry about that. I was able to get out and actually start going into the different historical societies. But um, to answer your question directly, they found me and I know that my involvement with the Fidimit family and writing that book also contributed to it as well. And so this was great because I got to get out of Roseville, uh-huh. get into all of Placer County and just go to all the corners of the county and meet wonderful, wonderful people and wonderful historians and learn so much. Sure. So it was um, it was fantastic. I'm curious about how much so they approached you given your involvement in the in historical documentation already. Yes. Did they how how much of the idea of the book or the topic that you addressed did they you know you had to create a book proposal of course did they come to you saying hey we're we're looking for a book on Placer County? They asked me if I would be interested in doing a past and present book. Mm-hmm. And originally they were talking about maybe focusing on just one of the towns and I said, "Well, I work for Placer County Museums." And I've been around a while, so I think I'd like to tackle the whole county, if that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I gave them the proposal, and they said, sure. They did give me a year to do it. Normally, it's a six-month process. Uh And they gave me a year to do it. But the content is solely mine um, because they give you a template. You fill in the pictures, the past and present pictures. Mm -hmm. I found the past pictures, and then I had to take the photograph that was closest to the angle that the original photograph was taken. And that yeah. was, that was really fun. Um, and yeah. then write the story, write the story or the little history blurb about each of those aspects. So mm-hmm. it's a, I call it um, just a top line of Placer County. And yeah. for folks who want to learn about Placer County history, it's a great resource because it gives you a little bit of everything. 
Mm-hmm. Touches on all the towns in our, um, or excuse me, all of our cities, and we have one town, Loomis, mm-hmm. and then the foothill communities, and of course our water history. So, if you don't find something that you're interested in about Placer County history in my book, you won't find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought you did a great job when I was when I was reading through it, just spotlighting some of these. Again, going back to the idea of the peeling the layers back, peeling the layers yeah. back on Placer County. It was yes. amazing. And it was amazing. It was um, it was fun. And I think meeting the people like we talk about who are so passionate about local history and just making sure we keep it alive, yeah. because if we don't, it goes away. And I have to segue, if you don't mind, into sure. a story I discovered. And it was in um, this happened in 1972. And we have what's called the Tevis Cup. Are you familiar with the Tevis Cup? I'm not. So the Tevis Cup is a horseback ride. And it's a 100-mile horseback ride over the Immigrant Trail, which is now called the Western States Trail. And it's done in 24 hours. Wow. A 100-mile horseback ride through the mountains in 24 hours. And that's called the Tevis Cup. And the Tevis Cup began in 1955, and it's run annually ever since then. Well, something else happened in 1972 that wasn't really talked about, and I just by accident uncovered it. The uh, 1st Infantry out of Fort Riley, Kansas, sent 20 soldiers here in 1972 to hike the trail. Mm-hmm. And they did it in conjunction with the Tevis ride, mm-hmm. but they did it in 48 hours. And what was happening in 1972? We're at the end of the Vietnam War. Our hero, our our soldiers are not heroes when they come home. And mm-hmm. it was a pretty depressing time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this story was not really carried through in history. So I dug into it. Mm-hmm. They sent 20 soldiers here as a morale booster. And the reason they did is because the wife of one of the commanders had ridden the Tevis Cup. And she said, I think this might be great for your soldiers to just get kind of a morale booster. And out of the 20, only seven finished. Okay. But it was absolutely amazing. And they did it in their military fatigues, including their leather boots. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they were the first on foot to travel that Western States Trail. And that story is just fantastic. That ran, um, let's see, in the October 2023 Granite Bay View. You can still find that online. But that was one of my most, um, I think, widely and well-received articles. I had a lot of veterans reach out yeah. to that article and say thank you because they really weren't honored very much at all, mm-hmm. if at all. So, you know, they were actually downtrodden quite a bit. So this was a great story to read, and um, it's called The First Infantry Hosted at the Tevis Cup. Yeah. So I love these stories. I yeah. love these stories, just digging them up. And we will we will include a link to any any current um, oh, very good. Okay. locations that folks can find articles like that. We'll for sure uh, include links to. And uh, is it Tevis, T-E-V-A-S? T-E-V-I-S? I-S. I-S. Yep. Okay. Tevis, Tevis Cup. Cup. Yeah, that's just again one of those examples of the uh those little stories that are out there just waiting for folks to encounter or explore. Absolutely. Another mm-hmm. one was um we had a Titan 1 missile site in Lincoln. Oh wow. 
at the um right at the oh maybe it might have been about the height of the cold war uh-huh we had a missile site there let's see this was 1962 to 1965 uh mm-hmm. there were 54 titan 1 missiles in california can you wow. believe that? 54 titan 1 missiles so these missiles had the capability to go up over the pole and hit russia dead on if wow. we needed it. And there wow. was one, a site right in Lincoln. Right in and our backyard. It was right in our backyard. And when I discovered this, of course, I immediately went out to drive to the site. And there's nothing there now. It's just it's just a big field. I think they've used it for artillery practice. Mm-hmm. But that was a fun story to unfold. Mm-hmm. To uncover. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you might have a uh... We might have preempted one of my next questions already, which is totally fine. But I wanted to give you the chance to add anything else, just speaking about the um, the research process for your book, Placer County, the writing process, mm. um, speaking as an author, you know, was there anything specifically that surprised you after taking on this project, after winning the contract from Arcadia, when you were going to talking to the people, going to these places and actually doing sitting down and doing the organization and the writing of the book, anything, uh, anything catch you off guard or surprise you? How much work it took. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, to make sure your facts are straight, you have to double, triple check them. Oftentimes source documents are not readily available. So you have to go with secondary sources. So when I couldn't find a source document, Mm -hmm. I always made sure that if I stated a fact that I could find it in three other places that were reputable. So um, walking tours are great for that walking tour brochures, you know, if there's a building on a walking tour brochure, what does that walking tour brochure say about that building? Okay, let me double check that against some newspaper articles of the time. Let me double check that against uh, maybe a pamphlet or a book that was written. That took a lot of time. Yeah, took so much time. And fortunately for me, I was able to reach out to a lot of the local historians throughout Placer County and double and triple check check my facts. And they did some groundwork for me, too. So um, the most exciting part was meeting all the people. Yeah. I love that. I still love that to this day. And I give presentations out at Sun City Lincoln, Sun City Roseville and for different um, different organizations throughout Placer County. And that's always my favorite. Um, the hardest part was all the research and the time and being up against the deadline. Of course, that's normal with any writing process. Um, I know my husband found me many times, my head down on the dining room table, <laughs> sleeping at one or two in the morning because oh, I wow. just exhausted myself. Yeah. But it was um, so rewarding when it was all finished. Yeah. So rewarding, I, the, I have to say. The life of a life of a history writer. Well, you have to make sure your facts are straight. Mm-hmm. And we're all human. And even though the facts are straight today, they may change later. And yet I found that with um, when, when I wrote the story of the Fidimit family, when I first started digging into that, and by the way, that was a seven-year process. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, when I first started digging into that, there was a lot of family lore that was not really true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We didn't have the resources that we have now. So those stories of the 
past had to be verified and um, quite a few of them couldn't be verified. So if you dig into your family history, I know I'm segueing a bit, but I would just caution people. If you dig into your family history, be open-minded. You're going to find things you had no idea about. There's always, there's always that one uncle that likes to tell tall tales. (laughs) Got a few of those. Absolutely. Family. Oh man. Anyways. Well, you know, uh, approaching the uh, the finish line here, I just had a couple couple additional questions, if that's okay. You know, now that you've gotten a, a couple a couple books um, out the door, for somebody that maybe they have an idea for a local history book, mm-hmm. or they have an idea that they want to get involved somehow, do you have any uh, any advice, any suggestions for for somebody like that who's maybe hasn't taken the leap yet? Um, and doesn't know what's involved with the process or with uh, or with just how gratifying it can be. So any any suggestions or advice for those folks? Um, absolutely. Go visit your museums. We have twenty two in Placer County. We have twenty two museums throughout this county. I know wow. Sacramento has a lot too. I've never tallied how many, but um don't be afraid to walk through a museum. Don't be afraid to start. Oh, just Googling local history. Mm-hmm. I would say that online, there's a lot of stuff online that's not accurate. So mm-hmm. if you're going to start doing that, maybe um, dig into newspapers.com mm-hmm. to get a little bit more accuracy. But if people are interested in local history, go walk through your local museums. Um, historical societies are always looking for people who want to be involved to promote history. You don't have to be a history scholar. You don't, I mean, my background, I have an MBA. Yeah. <laughs> with emphasis in marketing. So I have a, a total business background, but it's always been a passion of mine. And I would say the people in this realm, this niche, a lot of them like to hold their research close to their chest. So just be patient mm-hmm. and just continue to show up and be there. And if you want to write about something, make sure the facts are straight, mm-hmm. make sure you have good references and then have at it. Mm-hmm. Just, just write. Um, we all appreciate a good history story. Yeah. We all appreciate exploration and discovering different things. Like I discovered this Titan one missile site and of course the Placer County water history just wonderful aspects I had no idea was there. Yeah. Well, going. Yeah. And, and that's very, those suggestions are very helpful. I would think speaking as somebody who would love to get a historical book out the door someday, you know, uh, I appreciate that. So thank you for those, those suggestions. Oh, I hope you do. I hope you do. And Arcadia has a great little, um, treasure trove of history books. Yeah. Arcadia is a great resource for a lot of our history. Absolutely. And my book, by the way, you can get at um, on Amazon and you can get it through Barnes and Noble in Roseville. Mm-hmm. And I have it at the majority of the historical museums throughout Placer County. And then anywhere where Arcadia books are sold, great. especially locally. I don't know that it's in Sacramento. I'm guessing it's making its way. It was just published in May of this year, but I'm guessing it's making its way to Sacramento. Definitely. So so grab a copy, folks, if you're interested in learning more about Placer County history and all of the treasures to be discovered there. One last question. This is mostly just me being curious. You know, if you had to 
design a, and I, I like asking similar questions to my guests, you know, if you had to design a historical tour of Placer County, you know, maybe something to submit to the Placer County Tourism Bureau. I, I don't know. Yeah. But if you if you had to design a tour like that, what are a handful of items that might appear on that list that you think best illustrate uh, illustrate your county? That's a great question. Um, I would advise people to start in the mountains. Uh, Truckee isn't quite in Placer County, but if you start there, you'll start to get an idea of our history and in the mountains. And then as you're coming from the mountains, stop in Dutch Flat. And Dutch Flat is a little is a gold mining town from long ago that has done an incredible job of preserving their history. You can literally walk down Main Street and there are history placards on their historic buildings. And there's a wonderful history museum there. They are seasonal. So this is a spring to fall situation, mostly summertime that they're open. And then from Dutch Flat, I would go into Colfax. Mm -hmm. The railroad depot there is their museum Mm -hmm. and get a real good glimpse of the transcontinental railroad and our Chinese railroad workers. And Roger Staub was like, I I think I mentioned him before. He's an incredible historian on um, railroad history. And then go to Auburn and go to the Placer County Museum, that first floor, and get an idea of where you might want to go next. Because what's next is Roseville, Rockland, Lincoln, you you have a, just a plethora of different areas. And depending upon your interest, um, I always let the economic factor drive my sure. interest. Loomis was about fruit and Newcastle was about fruit. And of course, the trains and then Lincoln with the, um, I call it the clay factory with Gladding McBean background. And then Roseville just had, um, they were kind of an accidental city, really, just two railroads crossed each other back in 1864, and the railroad people called it Junction. (laughs) (laughs) Original name. Unique name, such an original (laughs) name. And the original roundhouses from the Big Four went into Rockland, but then when they moved from Rockland to Roseville in 1906, oh my goodness, it changed everything. Mm -hmm. So ranching, farming, the fruit trees, all of that just grew like crazy mm-hmm. from there. We didn't have a lot of gold mining per se in the flatlands here in Placer County, although we had some. Mm-hmm. We had a little bit. I think there was even a dredge that was in Loomis for a while. Mm-hmm. But you can see all along the um the North Fork of the American River, like Rattlesnake Bar, Murderers Bar, all those places where there was a lot of exploring. Sure. It's um it's a neat county. It it has everything here from a, a growing city to country life with an economic engine that was inspired by just so many aspects. And the quarries. Rockland grew up with the quarries. Uh, Penryn, of course, uh, Griffith Griffith was the Welsh man's name. Oh, first wow. and last name the same, which was kind of a Welsh thing. Uh, there's a great uh, museum in Penryn at Griffith Quarry. So you learn all about the the rocks and yeah. how we, we literally contributed to the building of Northern California with our quarries and our clay. Amazing. That's, that's a neat aspect too. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> well, 
Christina, I appreciate you taking the time so much. My, uh, I think our our landscaper might have just arrived, so this might be a per- okay. perfect timing. <laughs> perfect Hopefully. timing, and uh, I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to doing more things with Sacramento. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Sacramento Historical Society's The American Attic. If you'd like to learn more about the Society and upcoming speaker series, please visit sachistoricalsociety.org. If you have ideas for topics and speakers we can engage, drop us a line at admin at sachistoricalsociety.org. See you next time.